Chapter Two of the Conquest of Bread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Enko. The Conquest of Bread by Peter Kropotkin. Well-being for all. Part One. Well-being for all is not a dream. It is possible, realizable owing to all that our ancestors have done to increase our powers of production. We know indeed that the producers, although they constitute hardly one-third of the inhabitants of civilized countries, even now produce such quantities of goods that a certain degree of comfort could be brought to every half. We know further that if all those who squander today the fruits of others' toil were forced to employ their leisure in useful work, our wealth would increase in proportion to the number of producers and more. Finally, we know that contrary to the theory enunciated by Malthus, that oracle of middle-class economics, the productive powers of the human race increase at a much more rapid ratio than its powers of reproduction. The more thickly men are crowded on the soil, the more rapid is the growth of their wealth-creating power. Thus, although the population of England has only increased from 1844 to 1890 by 62%, its production has grown, even at the lowest estimate, at double that rate, to wit, by 130%. In France, where the population has grown more slowly, the increase in production is nevertheless very rapid. Notwithstanding the crisis through which agriculture is frequently passing, notwithstanding state interference, the blood tax open bracket, conscription, close bracket, and speculative commerce and finance, the production of wheat in France has increased fourfold, and industrial production more than tenfold, in the course of the last 80 years. In the United States, this progress is still more striking. In spite of immigration, or rather precisely because of the influx of surplus European labor, the United States have multiplied their wealth tenfold. However, these figures give but a very faint idea of what our wealth might become under better conditions. For alongside of the rapid development of our wealth-producing powers, we have an overwhelming increase in the ranks of the idlers and middlemen. Instead of capital gradually concentrating itself in a few hands, so that it would only be necessary for the community to dispossess a few millionaires and enter upon its lawful heritage, instead of the socialist forecast proving true, the exact reverse is coming to pass. The swarm of parasites is ever increasing. In France, there are not ten actual producers to every thirty inhabitants. The whole agricultural wealth of the country is the work of less than seven millions of men, and in the two great industries, mining and the textile trades, you will find that the workers number less than two and one-half millions. But the exploiters of labour, how many are they? In the United Kingdom, a little over one million workers, men, women and children, are employed in all the textile trades, less than 900,000 work the mines, much less than 2 million till the ground, and it appeared from the last industrial census that only a little over 4 million men, women and children were employed in all the industries, open footnote, 4,013,711, now employed in all the 53 branches of different industries, including the state ordinance works, and 241,530 workers engaged in the construction and maintenance of railways, their aggregate production reaching the value of 1,041,037,000 pounds, and the net output being 406 million, seven hundred and ninety nine thousand pounds close footnote so that the statisticians have to exaggerate all the figures in order to establish a maximum of eight million producers to forty five million inhabitants 
Strictly speaking, the creators of the goods exported from Britain to all the ends of the earth comprise only from 6 to 7 million workers. And what is the number of the shareholders and middlemen who levy the first fruits of labour from far and near, and heap up unearned gains by thrusting themselves between the producer and the consumer? Nor is this all. The owners of capital constantly reduce the output by restraining production. We need not speak of the cartloads of oysters thrown into the sea to prevent a dainty, hitherto reserved for the rich, from becoming a food for the people. We need not speak of the thousand and one luxuries, stuff, foods, etc., etc., treated after the same fashion as the oysters. It is enough to remember the way in which the production of the most necessary things is limited. Legends of miners are ready and willing to dig out coal every day and send it to those who are shivering with cold but too often a third or even one half of their number are forbidden to work more than three days a week because forsooth the price of coal must be kept up thousands of weavers are forbidden to work the looms although their wives and children go in rags and although three quarters of the population of europe have no clothing worthy the name hundreds of blast furnaces thousands of factories periodically stand idle Others only work half-time, and in every civilized nation there is a permanent population of about two million individuals who ox only for work, but to whom work is denied. How gladly would these millions of men sack to work to reclaim wastelands, or to transform ill-cultivated land into fertile fields, rich in harvest? A year of well-directed toil would suffice to multiply fivefold the produce of those millions of acres in this country which lie idle now as permanent pasture or of those drylands in the south of france which now yield only about eight bushels of wheat per acre but men who would be happy to become hardy pioneers in so many branches of well-producing activity must remain idle because the owners of the soil the mines and the factories prefer to invest their capital taken in the first place from the community in turkish or egyptian bonds or in patagonian gold mines and so make egyptian fellas italian emigrants and chinese coolies their wage slaves this is the direct and deliberate limitation of production but there is also a limitation in direct and not of set purpose which consists in spending human toil on objects absolutely useless or destined only to satisfy the dull vanity of the rich it is impossible to reckon in figures the extent to which wealth is restricted indirectly the extent to which energy is squandered while it might have served to produce and above all to prepare the machinery necessary to production it is enough to cite the immense sums spent by europe in armaments for the sole purpose of acquiring control of markets and so forcing her own goods on neighbouring territories and making exploitation easier at home the millions paid every year to officials of all sorts whose function it is to maintain the rights of minorities the right that is of a few rich men to manipulate the economic activities of a nation the millions spent on judges prisons policemen and all the paraphernalia of so-called justice spent to no purpose because we know that every alleviation however slight of the wretchedness of our great cities is always followed by a considerable diminution of crime lastly the millions spent on propagating pernicious doctrines by means of the press and news cooked in the interest of this or that party of this politician or of that group of speculators but over and above this we must take into account all the labour that goes to sheer waste here in keeping up the stables the kennels and the retinue of the rich there in pandering to the caprices of society and the depraved taste of the fashionable mob there again in forcing the consumer to buy what he does not need or posting an inferior article upon him by means of puffery and in producing on the other hand 
wares which are absolutely injurious but profitable to the manufacturer what is squandered in this manner would be enough to double the production of useful things also to plenish our mills and factories with machinery that they would soon flood the shops with all that is now lacking to two-thirds of a nation under our present system a full quarter of the producers in every nation are forced to be idle for three or four months in the year and the labour of another quarter if not of a half has no better results than the amusement of the rich or the exploitation of the public thus if we consider on the one hand the rapidity with which civilized nations augment their powers of production and on the other hand the limits set to the production be it directly or indirectly by existing conditions we cannot but conclude that an economic system a trifle more reasonable would permit them to heap up in a few years so many useful products that they would be constrained to say enough we have enough coal and bread and raiment let us rest and consider how best to use our powers how best to employ our leisure no plenty for all is not a dream though it was a dream indeed in those days when man for all his pains could hardly win a few bushels of wheat from an acre of land and had to fashion by hand all the implements he used in agriculture and industry now it is no longer a dream because man has invented a motor which with a little iron and a few sacks of coal gives him the mastery of a creature strong and docile as a horse and capable of setting the most complicated machinery in motion but if plenty for all is to become a reality this immense capital cities houses pastures arable lands factories highways education must cease to be regarded as private property for the monopolist to dispose of at his pleasure this rich endowment painfully won builded fashioned or invented by our ancestors must become common property so that the collective interests of men may gain from it the greatest good for all there must be expropriation the well-being of all the end expropriation the means part two expropriation such then is the problem which history has put before the men of the twentieth century the return to communism in all that ministers to the well-being of men but this problem cannot be solved by means of legislation no one imagines that the poor as well as the rich understand that neither the existing governments nor any which might arise out of possible political changes would be capable of finding such a solution they feel the necessity of a social revolution and both rich and poor recognize that this revolution is imminent that it may break out in a few years a great change in thought has taken place during the last half of the nineteenth century but suppressed as it was by the propertied classes and denied its natural development this new spirit must now break its bond by violence and realize itself in a revolution whence will the revolution come how will it announce its coming no one can answer these questions the future is hidden but those who watch and think do not misinterpret the signs workers and exploiters revolutionists and conservatives thinkers and men of action all feel that a revolution is at our doors well then what are we going to do when the thunderbolt has fallen we have all been bent on studying the dramatic side of revolution so much and the practical work of revolution so little that we are apt to see only the stage effects so to speak of these great movements the fight of the first days the barricades but this fight this first skirmish is soon ended and it only after the breakdown of the old system that the real work of revolution can be said to begin if fate and powerless attack on all sides the old rulers are soon swept away by the breath of insurrection in a few days the middle-class monarchy of eighteen forty eight was no more and while louis philippe was making good his escape in a cab paris had already forgotten her citizen king 
the government of tyres disappeared on the eighteenth of march eighteen seventy one in a few hours leaving paris mistress of her destinies yet eighteen forty eight and eighteen seventy one were only insurrections before a popular revolution the masters of the old order disappear with a surprising rapidity its upholders fly the country to plot in safety elsewhere and to devise measures for their return the former government having disappeared the army hesitating before the tide of popular opinion no longer obeys its commanders who have also prudently decamped the troops stand by without interfering or join the rebels the police standing at ease are uncertain whether to belabor the crowd or to cry long live the commune while some retire to their quarters to await the pleasure of the new government wealthy citizens pack their trunks and betake themselves to places of safety the people remain this is how a revolution is ushered in in several large towns the commune is proclaimed in the streets wander scores of thousands of men and in the evening they crowd into improvised clubs asking what shall we do and ardently discuss public affairs all take an interest in them those who yesterday were quite indifferent or perhaps the most zealous everywhere there is plenty of good will and a keen desire to make victory certain it is a time when acts of supreme devotion are occurring the masses of the people are full of the desire of going forward all this is splendid sublime but still it is not a revolution nay it is only now that the work of a revolutionist begins doubtless there will be acts of vengeance the watrins and the thomases will pay the penalty of their unpopularity but these are mere incidents of the struggle not the revolution socialist politicians radicals neglected geniuses of journalism stop orators both middle-class people and workmen will hurry to the town hall to the government offices to take possession of the vacant seats some will decorate themselves with gold and silver lace to their heart's content admire themselves in ministerial mirrors and study to give orders with an air of importance appropriate to their new position how could they impress their comrades of the office or the workshop without having a red sash an embroidered cap and magisterial gestures others will bury themselves in official papers trying with the best of wills to make head or tail of them they will indict laws and issue high-flown worded decrees that nobody will take the trouble to carry out because revolution has come to give themselves an authority which they have not they will seek the sanction of all forms of government they will take the names of provisional government committee of public safety mayor governor of the town hall commissioner of public safety and what not elected or acclaimed they will assemble in boards or in communal councils where men of ten or twenty different schools will come together representing not as many private chapels as it is often said but as many different conceptions regarding the scope the bearing and the goal of a revolution possibilists collectivists radicals jacobins blankets will be thrust together and waste time in wordy warfare honest men will be huddled together with the ambitious ones whose only dream is power and who spurn the crown whence they are sprung all coming together with diametrically opposed views all forced to enter into ephemeral alliances in order to create majorities that can but last a day wrangling calling each other reactionaries authoritarians and rascals incapable of coming to an understanding on any serious measure drag into discussions about trifles producing nothing better than bombastic proclamations all giving themselves an awful importance while the real strength of the movement is in the streets all this may please those who like the stage but it is not revolution nothing has been accomplished as yet and meanwhile the people suffer the factories are idle the workshops close trade is at a standstill the worker does not even earn the meagre wage which was his before 
food goes up in price with that heroic devotion which has always characterized them and which in great crises reaches the sublime the people will wait patiently we place these three months of want at the service of the republic they said in eighteen forty eight while their representatives and the gentlemen of the new government down to the meanest jack in office receive their salary regularly the people suffer with a childlike faith with the good humour of the masses who believe in their leaders they think that yonder in the house in the town hall in the committee of public safety their welfare is being considered but yonder they are discussing everything under the sun except the welfare of the people in seventeen ninety three while famine ravaged france and crippled the revolution whilst the people were reduced to the depths of misery although the champs elysees were lined with luxurious carriages where women displayed their jewels and splendour robespierre was urging the jacobins to discuss his treatise on the english constitution while the worker was suffering in eighteen forty eight from the general stoppage of trade the provisional government and the national assembly were wrangling over military pensions and prison labour without troubling how the people managed to live during the terrible crisis and could one cast a reproach at the paris commune which was born beneath the prussian cannon and lasted only seventy days it would be for this same error this failure to understand that the revolution could not triumph unless those who fought on its side were fed that on fifteen pence a day a man cannot fight on the ramparts and at the same time support a family the people will suffer and say how is a way out of these difficulties to be found part three it seems to us that there is only one answer to this question we must recognize and loudly proclaim that everyone whatever his grade in the old society whether strong or weak capable or incapable has before everything the right to live and that society is bound to share amongst all without exception the means of existence it has at its disposal we must acknowledge this and proclaim it aloud and act up to it affairs must be managed in such a way that from the first day of the revolution the worker shall know that a new era is opening before him that henceforward none need crouch under the bridges while palaces are heard by no need force in the midst of plenty none need perish with cold near shops full of furs that all is for all in practice as well as in theory and that at last for the first time in history a revolution has been accomplished which considers the needs of the people before schooling them in their duties this cannot be brought about by acts of parliament but only by taking immediate and effective possession of all that is necessary to ensure the well-being of all this is the only really scientific way of going to work the only way which can be understood and desired by the mass of the people we must take possession in the name of the people of the granaries the shops full of clothing and the dwelling houses nothing must be wasted we must organize without delay a way to feed the hungry to satisfy all wants to meet all needs to produce not for the special benefit of this one or that one but so as to ensure to society as a whole its life and further development enough of ambiguous words like the right to work with which the people were misled in eighteen forty eight and which are still resorted to with the hope of misleading them let us have the courage to recognize that well-being for all henceforward possible must be realized when the workers claimed the right to work in eighteen forty eight national and municipal workshops were organized and workmen were sent to dredge there at the rate of one s eight d a day when they asked the organization of labor the reply was patience friends the government will see to it meantime here is your one s eight d rest now brave toiler after your life-long struggle for food and in the meantime the cannons were overhauled the reserves called out and the workers themselves disorganized by the many methods well known to the middle classes till one fine day in june eighteen forty eight 
four months after the overthrow of the previous government they were told to go and colonize africa or be shut down very different will be the result if the workers claim the right to well-being in claiming that right they claim the right to take possession of the wealth of the community to take houses to dwell in according to the needs of each family to socialize the stores of food and learn the meaning of plenty after having known famine too well they proclaim their right to all social wealth fruit of the labor of past and present generations and learn by its means to enjoy those higher pleasures of art and science which have too long been monopolized by the rich and while asserting their right to live in comfort they assert what is still more important their right to decide for themselves what discomfort shall be what must be produced to ensure it and what discarded as no longer of value the right to well-being means the possibility of living like human beings and of bringing up children to be members of a society better than ours whilst the right to work only means the right to be always a wage slave a drudge ruled over and exploited by the middle class of the future the right to well-being is the social revolution the right to work means nothing but the treadmill of commercialism it is high time for the worker to assert his right to the common inheritance and to enter into possession of it and of well-being for all Recording by Enco.